Welcome to the Gondwana Records Podcast, Episode 3, with Matthew Hussle, a trumpeter, producer, composer, and founder of Gondwana Records. My name is Mari, and the first two episodes, it has been such a beautiful time hearing his journey from his childhood memories, full of music and art. Around six, seven years old, I was really into making things out of cardboard, actually. <laughs> I made a Drum kit out of cardboard, an entire drum kit, which I wish I still had because it, it was quite amazing. And I used to play, play the drums in this、uh, unique style of my own. To how he made the decision to start his own record label. There was a point where what I was making didn't fit on any other record label. For the next two episodes, we are going to focus on an ever changing view Matthew's latest album. I really did feel more. Creative than ever before. In this episode, he's going to demonstrate some of his custom made instruments, so lots of beautiful sounds are waiting for you. So let's dive in. Congratulations on the release of the new album, An Ever Changing View. Thank you, yeah, feels good. Yeah, and it's such a bright and positive yet experimental album, and I felt like it was such a sea change for you. Yeah, I kind of wanted to push and challenge myself as much as possible with this record and maybe break into a slightly more contemporary sound. I feel like I'm probably mentally and physically fitter and healthier than I've ever been. And、um, I just felt excited and full of energy and positive about making this record. And I gave myself a lot of space and time. And I traveled around a lot to kind of be inspired by different locations. You just、um, mentioned the word locations, and I would like to know your. Biggest inspiration of this album, could you please tell us about that? I really like composing looking out of windows.、Um, most of my albums have either been a, a room with a view or sat in a location outside composing. Like Fletcher Moss Park was written in the park in the botanical gardens. And, and、um, I felt again the need to escape. And make music that felt like I was on holiday, and for the listener, like when they put their headphones on, that it was almost like a little break and escape for them as a listener, sort of taking them on a holiday journey. So I decided to find places by the sea with like beautiful views of the sea and mountains and forests and things that. Would inspire me to make this slightly open and free and kind of beautiful places, landscape, trying to record sort of compositions with a, almost like a landscape painting process where I sort of look at the view for about eight hours a day and、um, try to create sounds that captured things I was seeing basically. 
So I want to go into the specific locations, the ideal musical holidays by Matthew Holsall. Could you introduce us、uh, different locations? Okay, so、um, yeah, Bridlington in the north of England, north east England,、uh, was the first place I went to,、uh, and it was a 1950s modernist house,、um, beautiful architecture. The space just so inspiring.、Um, the, the interior design was incredible. Lots of beautiful vintage 60s, 70s lighting and furniture. Big glass windows looking out at the North Sea, and、um, I could sit basically either downstairs or upstairs, and there was incredible views. And there was windows either side of the house,、um, so the light was constantly. Changing and and really gave you a feeling of the times of day, and I would compose at sunrise and sunset and throughout the day, and、um, all of those things really inspired me, especially in this this magical house. And the view just just constantly changed. The the sort of I think when you're by the sea because the coast is so you know the wind and the climate changes so much. It's kind of Has an extra energy for me watching the tide come in and out and the clouds floating by and the rain come in and go in and the sun rise and sunset over the horizon is all things I find really really beautiful experiences、um, and listening to the birdsong at, at sunrise is always something I absolutely just love that moment when most of the times I really like composing are actually when. When humans are asleep or or kind of resting, and、uh, it's just nature and and a very peaceful, quiet point in in time. So, in addition to Bridlington, I composed in three different houses in North Wales. The next one I went to was a house. In Penmynmar on the coast again. This was a beautiful end-terraced house、um, with a lot of character, owned by an architect who redesigned the inside. So it was, and and the furniture was all beautiful design, modernist furniture, and felt really special. The house was on a street called Water Street, so I composed the lead single Water Street there, and. The title of the album was、uh, the concept came to me at this house, an ever-changing view, and that track was written there as well as Jules, the track later in the album. For some reason, I just felt the views and the changes in weather, and this location really, really inspired me. The coastal views that I saw, I think I saw pretty much every day rainbows and. Clouds floating by the house. The house was quite high up on a on the side of a mountain. It just felt really magical every time I looked out of the window.、Um, I think even one day I remember because it was so high up, a cloud was floating down the street. I just watched it float by. It was just crazy. And I think there was a thunderstorm, lightning, all sorts of things.、Uh, very dramatic coastal weather, but it, it kind of gave me lots of energy and inspiration. Uh, to make those key tracks, I forgot to mention in Bridlington, I, I composed the track "Mountain Trees and Seas" and some of the tracks that are on a special、uh, EP, "Bright Sparkling Light," which is available on tour dates、uh, exclusively at the moment. 
The next locations were on the Isle of Anglesey, North Wales again. Beautiful island. Um, and I recorded tracks like Calder Shapes and Natural Movement in the sort of demos of all of these tracks. They're not the finished versions. Uh, in uh, Newborough, one of the, my favourite places in the, in the world, actually. Newborough Beach and Forest. And it also has... This amazing island that you can walk to when the tide's out. Um, it's somewhere I go three or four times a year because it's so close to Manchester, and it and it just immediately I feel so like my breathing changes, my whole energy in my body, uh, my connection to the earth and nature feels so strong there um, that I, I I really like going there. So that was where I wrote a few tracks at Newborough. And then the last couple of tracks I wrote in just further closer to Hollyhead on Anglesey in this beautiful kind of wooden lodge in a forest. And that's where I wrote the opening track, Tracing Nature and Field of Vision. They were um, inspired by basically the bird song and nature around me. I put some microphones outside uh, the doors of the room I was staying in and sat with my headphones on playing the piano, a felt piano and um, just recorded and recorded and I just really liked the sort of free floaty conversations I was having with the birds and stuff on those tracks and uh, they just give the album a bit of breathing space and a sort of palate cleanser if you like to, to sort of cool down and and then when the big tracks kick in they feel you know even bigger Some painters bring their canvas and their paints and go to the location and paint it. Just listening to your creative process in writing, it sounded like you're doing that with music. Exactly. That's That was my attitude. I think when I first started thinking, how am I going to make a record that's different to my other albums, I, I really thought a lot about the palette of sounds and colours that I was going to use on this record and um, I spent maybe three or four, maybe even up to five years slowly collecting bits of percussion and and, uh, custom made uh, things to to allow this record to have a really fresh starting point and kind of I think percussion is one of those things that allows you to almost 
make music in a kind of more free and primitive kind of way. It uh, gives you a really earthy kind of physical way of, you know, creating rhythms and energy quite quickly. It's like a, almost like the pencil is in a sketchbook rather than getting all the paints out of the for me the percussion was the sort of sketchbook side where I could just grab a really beautiful custom made clump of bells or or some um, bottle top clumps that I got made and or lots of seeds and chimes and things I could just quickly get hold of them and start feeling and making things and look out the window and see how can this sound match the view I'm seeing outside and um, that took a quite a, a couple of days of just playing around with I think I started to think of the chimes as an example as the sparkle of the sunlight on the sea you know sort of bright silver sparkling light and then things like the, um, the shells and seeds and the bottle tops represented the sort of sound of the waves on the beach with the shells and the sort of pebbles and and things like that uh, and a, and things like the kalimbo offered a kind of consistent pulse of energy which was in some ways i guess like the consistency of the tide and the waves coming in uh, throughout throughout the day when i'm looking at the sea and you have floaty sounds like the flute would be for me things like it would represent birds or clouds or someone with a kite or something that kind of quite high floaty sound um, and, I, and I definitely see things like that for me double bass as an example it's such a big wooden earthy instrument that represents for me the sort of trees and the kind of ground and earthiness of of life I guess so I start trying to think of things visually uh, when I'm when I'm playing with them. So. Could you show us how different percussion sounds like and what it is for you? Yeah. So one of the most magical parts of the writing and recording process was I got these custom-made hand-hammered triangles uh, created by this guy in Bristol, Philip, um, who. His Instagram is Taria Sounds, and uh, uh, he had this amazing video of him. Well, he's got loads of like if you go on his Instagram, him making all sorts of giant triangular gongs and um, bits of percussion. And but he had these little triangles on a mobile hanging from his, uh, I guess, shelves in his front room, and he played. They were tuned to a sort of meditation. A spiritual scale and he played them on this little video and the light was pouring in and they were spinning around and it just sounded and looked so beautiful that I contacted him and said could I commission you to make uh, 17 of these uh, I've got this kalimba and I, I've, it's got 17 notes and I'd like 17 notes of these beautiful triangles in the same same scales and um, and he he had never made uh, Oh, like been paid to make any before it, I was invoice number one uh, and uh, it was quite a beautiful experience for both of us to kind of go through and he was like sending me lots of notes and and lots of things about the creative process he would send me videos of him like with blow torches and 
hammers and all sorts of things uh, making and cutting these shapes for me and um, they looked incredible when they arrived they're such a, a beautiful thing to uh, you'll see them on my live shows uh, I use them on the album and on the live tour I'll give you a little play of these So that's the beautiful triangles. Uh, they inspired the track Triangles in the Sky, which is the last track on the album. And they also are used on Sunlight Reflection, which is an interlude on the album. And those were really fun in the studio because, it, again, it was the first time I've ever been in a recording session where I've not really... I didn't play trumpet at all on that track. I was playing triangles throughout the track and directing the band on when to come in and how to move and evolve. And the track, that track's fairly improvised and quite a beautiful track where everyone had input to a degree on how it would sound and, how, and we all moved together. But the triangles were sort of the backbone of the track and everyone reacted. I started the track with that and then people came in and uh, Chip Wickham did a beautiful flute solo um, which evolved into sort of being the main theme of the, the track um, but the whole band played so beautifully on that. go through some of the more I guess rhythmical and kind of textural elements of the percussion um, that I used so that we'll start with things like uh, a clump of old bottle tops recycled bottle tops uh, who would have thought they sound so great I use them all the time it's uh, made by this guy in Brazil Leo percussion um, I'll, I'll show you how they sound And what I like about those is they do, when you listen to the sound of the sea and the shells and the kind of, the, the tide coming in and out, it does have that sort of sound to it, but it also sounds a bit like something you'd hear in a, in a forest, some sort of uh, creature or kind of something that it's got a really interesting sort of texture to it. Um, and I got loads of clumps of bells as well. I'll just play, use some of those. 
So that was, yeah, just these beautiful big clumps of bells. They used quite a lot. Alice Coltrane and Ferris Sanders used to use those a lot on, on the sort of 60s, 70s gels. Uh, they kind of, they had such a beautiful texture and sparkle and energy. Um, but another thing I got made was this giant mobile of old recycled keys. Um, and again, it just, if you listen to it, definitely... If you're looking out of the window at the sea, for some reason it has a connection to me. Uh, so I'll sh show you this. So that was the key mobile. And um, one of the things I didn't use, but I was get I got very excited about was these custom-made bird whistles if you like from this crazy guy in France who was obsessed with recreating the sound of each bird um, and uh, my percussionist Jack McCarthy put me onto his his website and I ordered uh, multiple ones I'll play a couple of these bird sounds but they, they the idea was to put them on as sort of me recreating sounds of nature but in the end I just used the real the real thing but they're quite funny so I'll just play one of those so this is the curl you which is quite popular very sort of on the Irish coast and Welsh coast uh, here's another exotic bird sound This is supposed to be a partridge, this one. Green woodpecker. <laughs> yeah, and I basically went a bit mental and just uh, got <laughs> all of these... Um, quite exotic silly silly sounds I was sort of thinking how how far can I push the idea of percussion and 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 the kind of painting pictures and soundscapes with these uh, custom-made things and I had a lot of fun uh, but there was also a process of you know where where's the line how ridiculous is this getting um, so uh, quite a few things got took back off the process the last thing i forgot to mention was the log drum which is a beautiful percussive instrument again six notes are sort of leaning towards sounds that were limited but rhythmical like um, and sort of would be the foundation loop of each track so this is the last thing that's on the track natural movement it's called the log drum <laughs> Anyway, so there you go. That's some of the sounds uh, that I was playing around with. Uh, I can tell you there's a whole uh, treasure trove of them uh, that I haven't even played today. So it was a very natural process that you decided to play multiple instruments. 
it was quite a, a new challenge for me, I guess. I've always been quite shy and unconfident. I've played piano since I was maybe four years old. I always had a piano in my houses and um, love it. I use it quite a lot for composing, but I've always been very believed that someone else, you know, who's more dedicated to that specific instrument as their career choice is going to be better at playing it. So even when I've had ideas and kind of, uh, you know, wanted to do stuff, I've always sort of slightly shied away from it and scored out basic ideas and asked piano players to open those those initial chords and um, patterns up into a more interesting and exciting performance. Um, but on this record I played all sorts of uh, things like a celeste, five octave celeste, like which is used a lot in classical music. It's like a almost like a glockenspiel which I also played on the album. I played two different glockenspiels on Water Street and a couple of other tracks and the Celeste and I played a little bit of marimba on the tiny bits of things and um, I played some of the piano loops myself and little bits of Fender Rhodes and things but I felt like I, it was a blank canvas and, and I didn't need to worry about what I'd done in the past or how we would play it live this music I just wanted to make music completely and utterly free without any sort of rules or restrictions it's just like let's get everything out and like get all the toys out on the floor and have have fun and um, that's really really been important for me as a sort of composer to sort of wipe the slate clean and and just uh, yeah open up it's not easy to be brave and uh, what do you think gave you the chance to unlock what made you change? I'm inspired by so many different artists, both painters and musicians, different people, architects and stuff. I remember a quote from Picasso, every child is an artist, but it's how you continue to be an artist when you grow up and become an adult. And um, I really wanted to find that freedom, that sense of there's nothing that can go wrong here. There's, there, there's no right, like Miles Davis always said, there's, there's no wrong notes in jazz, really. And I think it's absolutely right that sometimes we get caught in this process and this kind of idea of, of like, this is my sound or this is, this is kind of how jazz has to be or how music has to be composed. And I, the reason I didn't always start on the piano on this album is because my hands automatically connect. When I sit at the piano, my, my fingers already create the shapes that I've created in the past rather than starting afresh. They seem to just automatically go to certain patterns or certain movements, and I wanted to move away from that. So I used a lot of kalimba as a starting point, where it's like a 17-note thumb piano with... Um, all the white notes on one side and the black notes on the other and uh, the restrictions of that were really really important to me I think
all these playful ideas and、uh, music that you've written in nature, how did you bring those back to the studio and complete your album with your band? So the next phase was I basically had all these beautiful loops of sounds and I had the melodies and bass lines and piano chords and everything scored out on、uh, music software. So I printed out all the pieces for the band to play and I put all the loops onto an MPC sampler. And was live sequencing and bringing things in and out、uh, on the recording session, which, which is something I've never done before with the band.、Um, uh, it was quite an amazing experience to do that. And、um, each composition, the way I like to compose is to have a clear kind of identity to each track, the beginning and the end, but also. Open the tracks up for the musicians to solo and add their own personality and expression to the music. So there's like a solo section in the middle of each tune, and then、uh, I guess the more composed beginning and end. And sometimes each solo I would write a different bass line just so that the track still had a very clear structure or direction, but The flautist Matt Cliff and Chip Wickham,、uh, who played, they both played sax and flute on the album,、um, had a, quite a lot of freedom when they were soloing.、Uh, there was also some beautiful piano and Fender Rhodes solos.、Um, and all, all of these sections were quite open at the beginning. And it was kind of like, I was almost like a DJ in the studio.、Uh, I would be bringing in. Different loops and sounds, and changing the tempo of things, and、uh, basically saying, Right, okay, flute solo here, drum breakdown here, cool down here, up to, let's go for it here, kind of thing, and really sort of playing and, and speaking to the band as we were recording. I had a talk back microphone next to me, and then, of course, whilst I'm triggering all that stuff, I, I had to jump on trumpet solos and And play as well. So it was quite chaotic. I mean, it's become a bit like that on the live show now, where, where I'm triggering loops and sequences and then jumping on the trumpet. But it's, it's the only way I could kind of move into a, a newer、uh, and, and kind of more interesting zone. I've been making music for 15 years and I need to keep challenging myself and、uh, moving, moving along nicely. so A lot of new challenges. You mentioned Chip Wickham, and he's a special guest, and you mentioned Matt Cliff. But、um, who are your core band members on this album? So, we've got the amazing Alice Roberts on the harp, who is incredible at reading, sight reading music, and improvising.、Um, and she was really important on the, n- the new album. There w a s also some tracks where the previous harpist, Maddie Roberts, plays, and she did a great job as well.、Um, and then there's two piano players,、uh, Liv Yu Gorka plays Rhodes and piano on, on some of the album,、uh, and uh, Jasper Green, who's the current、uh, pianist in the band, plays on, on some of the later tracks as well.、Um, And they were both really important. The sound of. I'd never used Fender Rhodes before on a record. It was another 
new challenge, bringing in a, a little bit more of a sort of 70s stroke contemporary uh, sound uh, was really, really exciting for me. I kind of, I didn't use it in a kind of conventional way. It's just sort of there, but almost like a synthesizer would be or something. It's just not always the lead, but it, occasionally there's a beautiful solo. Um, and then on bass throughout the album is, is Gavin Barris, who's been playing with me for 17 years and, and become really important in the sound and the identity of my music. Uh, and we know each other so well, like when we're, when we're soloing, uh, the movements he does, he kind of reads my mind and uh, I can speak to him and direct him and he knows exactly what to do so quickly. And it, like it's brilliant. Um, and then it's Alan Taylor on drums, who's one of you know, he's brilliant drummer that was completely egoless. A lot of drummers like to control and kind of put their own personality on things, but Alan was very much like when I showed him the demos of beats and the sounds I was after, the different sort of kick drum patterns and clicks and hi-hats and because I was going for again quite a trip hoppy contemporary sound on some tracks and some of them were like four to the floor slightly housey sounding tracks so we had to carefully get those sounds right and tune the drums and switch kick drums and things like that in the studio but he was so patient and supportive rather than you know arguing with me about anything uh, uh, he was great and then there was two percussionists who worked with me uh, Sam Bell has worked with me since the Into Forever album and he's tours with me now and he's been a real inspiration half the percussion I just played like himself and Jack McCarthy the other percussionist introduced me to a whole world of, of textures and sounds and ways of making music that I'd never thought of before so they were instrumental in, in the style and sound of the record um, and um, one thing that was really beautiful as well was uh, I used vocals again for the first time since the Into Forever album. Only subtly this time I wanted to use them like a sampler, uh, like sampling some vocals. So I got in this singer, Caitlin Lang from Manchester, lives around the corner from me. She's an amazing flautist, saxophonist, singer, um, super talented. And um, she just popped over, had a brew and we sat down I sat at the piano and we sort of tried out lots of melodies and she improvised where she felt instinctively she had ideas and stuff and on the track triangles in the sky it just features lots of little beautiful bits of her vocals which definitely add a fresh sound to the record and, and finished the record nicely um, yeah and I think other than that, there was Chris Davies, another percussionist, played a little bit of um, uh, percussion, sort of marimba kind of stuff on there. Um, that was it. Yeah, it was quite, quite a big uh, and playful process. Uh, the studio was, was you know, we, I like to record with a lot of everyone in different rooms um, for to maximize the sound quality of each instrument so more isolation so everyone was on headphones um, in different 
isolation booths and stuff which is cr kind of crazy a lot of jazz musicians are like what on earth are you doing we're supposed to be in this together like uh, we need to feel each other and see each other musically and and I was just like I need this to sound so fresh and full of energy and color um, and the only way to do that is if we all go in different rooms um, but with headphones on and I actually think that sometimes it's one of those um, things where when you close your eyes and you just listen and you react to all the different musicians and sounds in the room I think you get on a deeper sometimes when you can see everyone you kind of have a different feeling altogether but for me I didn't need to physically be in the same room as anyone I kind of needed to hear and feel what they were doing like a listener would I think everyone became more they listened more deeply because of that so that was an interesting experiment Gondwana Records podcast coming up in episode 4 Matthew will explain the story behind the colorful tapestry which is the front cover of his album. And we have a Q&A session. Matthew will answer questions from his fans and Gondwana Records supporters. Thank you for listening and see you on the other side.